turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. I'll try to be quick tonight. My voice is um, um, uh, really dry for some reason. My, my spit pills is not working tonight. Um, those spit pills normally work, and tonight seem like they're kind of uh, not, not kicking in. And I uh, have been kind of a little bit raspy the last few days anyway. But I, I, there's just so much about the life of Elijah and Elisha. It's so hard to quit, you know. You just want to go back and get some more stuff. And I want to scrape out a few more things out of Elisha here in, in Elijah in chapter 2 of Second Kings. Look at verse 12. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, now I know something. The sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, God meant for those 50 to be over there too. Y'all seeing that? You see, we've kind of given them a reprieve. We've kind of given them, that's okay, you stay on that side. But God said here that they were supposed to view at Jericho. And they saw him and they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. You see, they already knew he was going to go up that day. They knew that he was going to depart from them that day. Everybody at Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho, they all knew what was going to happen. All the preacher boys, all the prophets knew what was going to happen. And so the scripture said, verse 16, they said to him, Behold, now there be with thy servants 50 strong men. Let them go, we pray, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain. You think the spirit of God does that? That's not God, is it? And especially for a man like this. He said, well, the spirit of God may have cast him, you know, somewhere uh, on a mountain or some valley and, you know, the buzzards will pick him. So, uh, and so Elisha said, you shall not sin. In other words, don't go. No need to go. And they urged him until he was ashamed. In other words, they urged him until he couldn't put up with it no more. How many understand what I'm talking about? And they just kept bugging him till he just couldn't take it no more, he said, sin. So they sent, therefore, 50 men. Those 50 men ought to have been over there and they'd have known what happened to him. Now with me? And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho. That also caught my attention. A brand new 
prophet, even though he had followed Elijah for these 10 years, he, he was a brand new prophet, and yet he chose to stay at one of the most wicked cities in all of Israel. He tarried there. They were so wicked, their water was cursed. Everything about the town was cursed, everything. And he tarried there and said to them, did not I say to you, go not? So then he says, the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, I pray thee the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord saith, but the water is naught and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt there. And they brought it when he went forth to the spring of waters and cast the salt in there and said, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters and there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. That spring still runs through Jericho today. Certainly a different route. They've rerouted it because of excavations, but that spring is still there and to my knowledge, is still healed, and they're still drinking from that spring that comes from Elisha's miracle. So tonight, I want to talk to you quickly about miracle on two kinds of waters. I, I will be somewhat redundant in some of this, but I'm doing it for a reason, and I'll get there if you'll wait on me. Um. Those of you who's not coming on Wednesday night, the last two or three Wednesday nights, you ought to get them all, but the last two or three Wednesday nights, if you want to know how to stay in God's will, you ought to get those CDs. Because you see, we got a lot of folks getting out of God's will because they're not listening to what this book tells them and what the Spirit of God leads them. So let's bow our heads and ask God to speak to us tonight. God, um, I'm just a frail country preacher. And God, I thank you for the privilege to be able to preach so much over the years that I can't even count them. It's been churches that was bad churches, churches that was unkind churches, churches that was loving churches, churches that was powerful churches, churches that had no life at all, but God, I, for right now, there is no place I'd rather be than Hillcrest Baptist Church. And if there's not anybody here tonight that feels that way, I pray you'd touch their heart and just do a little local jarring and, and, and to tiff, tilt them a little, shake them a little tonight and do a miracle in their life because they're dead, they're drought. They got a dry spell in their life. They need some water. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We came to Elisha's first miracle, the very first miracle Elisha performs. Now, when we read the Bible, we find Elisha performing exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah as they're recorded. Now, in my opinion, both of them committed many, many more miracles than what's recorded. But God recorded a certain amount for Elijah, and then he recorded a certain amount for Elisha. And it just so happens what's recorded is twice what it is for Elijah. 
you know, we, he said he would give him the double portion, and obviously God made sure that we knew that he would keep his word, and so he was able maybe to do twice the things Elijah did, but as it's recorded, it certainly looks that way. But his first two miracles, if you'll notice, had to do with water. First two miracles had to do with water. One was a barrier, and one was barren. Remember? One, they couldn't get across. The other killed everything in town. You see in it? So, one, he divided the other he healed. Elijah divided that Jordan River and then it came back and then he goes we don't know how far and God raptures Elijah, takes him up into heaven and the Bible says that he picks up the mantle and he brings it back to the Jordan and Elisha's first miracle was he took that that mantle, and he laid out over a uh, much like this over over Jordan. And when that mantle come back, it parted, and he walked right across, just like he had gotten across the first time. So his first miracle had to do with water. But before he could get back to town hardly, all the men of the city had gotten together, said it's obvious that God is on Elisha like he was Elijah, and our town's in a mess. And obviously God left him here maybe to help us. So let's just go ask him if he'll do something for our water, that our babies will quit dying and our cattle will start producing and that things will start to have some life around this oasis city again. And so they do that, and you know what he did. He took that cruise of salt, threw it in the water, and what was dead became alive. And I'll tell you what, you take a congregation... And what's dead, if you'll throw a bunch of salt among them, before long, they'll be alive. Our church sometimes gets dead. Now, I know compared to other churches, it's not dead. I mean, folks come here all the time, and they'll say, man, I feel the Spirit of God here. Happened today. People love here. They loved me. They was welcomed me. They was good to me. And, and I, I hadn't heard preaching like that in years and months and hadn't heard singing like that. They were just so compromised. I hear that all the time, and yet we have been through a dry spell. So, folks, if our dry spell is dry, imagine what it is other places. Well, I'm not, and I'm not bragging about that, by the way, because God could put us in a dust bowl real quick. Uh, li listen, anything that's ever happened here that's been alive has come from the Holy Ghost. It, it hadn't come from any of us, right? It hadn't come from this preacher, hadn't come from the singers, hadn't come from anybody but Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit through us. Now, let's look at this. First, water is, was a barrier. He divided it to cross. Now, that's not a new job for God because God has done that on quite a few occasions. In the creation, there was a canopy. There had never been any rain before. And God basically divided the waters up here from the waters down here. And in between, man lived. 
But then when the flood came, he broke them both up and they came down with such a tremendous deluge and they came up with such tremendous power that we have a world looking like it's looking today. Y'all with me? Well, I remember when Moses got to the Red Sea and all of a sudden when he gets to the Red Sea, he looks up and he sees the dust cloud coming and across the deserts, for those of you who've been to the deserts, you can see a long, long way of dust trails or, or, or somebody coming down through the desert. So he sees them coming, and he knows they're coming to kill all the people, million people, may, maybe two or three million people, time you count all the children and, and, and the wives. And so he says, I'm in a bind here, God. I've got to do something. And so he said, take your rod and hold it out over. Or see, and when he did, the Bible said the waters parted. Would you love to see that? I, I still, I can't help it. I, I just still have the picture in my mind of how it was in the movie, you know, where it just rolls back. I don't know where it was like that or not, but it doesn't matter. I had a professor that told me, and this is one of the reasons why I quit Bible college. I, and I shouldn't have done that. I should have had enough sense to been able to, uh, you know, because I could, I could stand even with the professors, even at, at, at that time. I didn't have any problem uh, with them. And I said to him, this guy had been to Harvard. Uh, uh, he had been over to Oxford in England and studied. I mean, he, he was one, he, he, could, he read Hebrew like uh, I can't read English. You know, that's what he did. And so he said, well, he said, the way this thing occurred was 16 miles upstream, uh, there was a, a, a little landslide and it created a dam and the water was blocked off. And I'm sitting there, a stewing. So I said, I'm going to raise my hand. He's saying, oh, no, not again. Because I questioned him all the time. And I said, the problem we have here is, is that you say that a dam caused a landslide and all those millions of people walked across the Red Sea, but the Bible said they did it on dry land. If it had been a dam that caused it, it would have been a mud hole. And he said, well, I damn caused it anyway. Sit down. I got real good grades in this class. But folks, I believe that God rolled the waters back and they went across on dry land. You say, why do you believe that? Because Pharaoh was willing to take his chariots across. Do you think if that had been a mud hole, he'd have pulled those chariots in there? No way in the world. And so he takes off through there and, of course, it was probably during flood stages, and it was, it, was, it was over anyway. And all of a sudden, God takes the waters and brings it back again. And the book of Psalms says that Pharaoh died in that flood. So God's pretty good at parting waters. Uh, I, I love that. So God has divided waters when there's a barrier. Have you ever had a barrier in your life? Something holding you back? 
Something's stopping you from doing what you believe God wants you to do. Have you ever had a barrier like that? Have you ever had a barrier in your life that you just couldn't seem to get beyond? You just couldn't get around it. You couldn't get over it. You couldn't get under it. It, just, it was just holding you up. It was a barrier in your life. Maybe other people didn't know it, but it was a barrier to you. You thought, if I could just get rid of this barrier, I could do so much for Jesus Christ. Well, friend, I want to tell you, if God can divide the waters back then and remove a barrier, he can divide some things in your life and remove your barrier. Whatever your barrier is, he can move it. You say, well, my barrier is my mother-in-law. Well, he can split her in half, push her aside, and you walk right through and then he push her back, and your father-in-law's going to catch it from then on. But, uh, folks, God handles our barriers, and especially here in the Bible, he uses water to describe it. God handles our barriers pretty well, doesn't he? Just write down Jeremiah 5.22. I'm not going to quote it to you, but I want you to write it down and go back and just kind of uh, revel in that verse a little bit. But I do want to quote Isaiah 40, verse 12, which the Bible said, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hands. In other words, God just to get hold all the waters in the hollow of his hand. That's a lot of water. So let me see four things about this incident, and Elisha will go home. First of all, he realized the influence of God's, that God's man had on a nation. Now, if we've got some of you folks that don't hear this tonight, I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to preach it just like it is. Because you can't preach the Bible without being political. And all the prophets were sent to kings. All the issues were with nations. So, folks, listen, you can't preach the Bible without being political. How in the world do you think we've got a whole Bible filled with it, but we're supposed to be real quiet right now? Don't say nothing. Oh, please don't. Oh, you could lose your tax exempt status. Oh, well, wouldn't that be something that they take our tax? If our faith is not strong enough to get us beyond a tax exemption, it's not very strong. I'll give my tithe if they double tithe us because we do. In fact, I'll enjoy doing it. But anyway, this, this defense, a true defense lay in the man of God. So Elisha had to learn, look, look what he called him. My father, my father, look, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. In other words, the power of their military strength was Elisha, Elijah. Now, are y'all seeing this? Folks, listen to me. He realized, and now he has taken that position, and he realized that God's man had influence on a nation. But we've been told we shouldn't. I've been told in no uncertain terms by a lot of people that I shouldn't. You've been told by people you shouldn't. I've been told this. Well, at our church, we don't talk about that. I said, well, what do you talk about? Amen. Well, we just, uh, we, we, we talk about the Bible. Then I said, you talk about this. 
Because you see, here, their power wasn't in their armies. Their power wasn't in their chariots. Their power wasn't in their horses. Their power was in the man of God. I, I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? Now, we have two extremes today. One trusts man too much and wants to do away with all defense. The other trusts in weapons as our only hope. Both of those are wrong. You see, God does teach us that we should be strong. Our nation ought to be militarily strong. We're growing weaker and weaker. Uh, but, but it needs to be militarily strong. Uh, and, and God teaches that in the Bible. But no army can be militarily strong without God's strong hand behind it. And so he's telling them that. And by the way, God teaches us that weapons are to be used to deal with people who are evil. That's why we have policemen. Read Romans 13. That's why we have military. I want some of you military men here tonight to hear me. Some of you has had to take a life. You, it was either their life or your life. You had orders to take a life. I want to tell you tonight, you've put that guilt away. You quit blaming yourself. You quit telling yourself you shouldn't have done that. You was under the orders of Almighty God because Romans 13 tells us that the government, when they give those orders, we are to follow them. Wipe it away. You're not guilty of murder when you go to war. The politicians might that caused it. They may have a lot of blood on their hands. I'll tell you what, I'd hate to be Hillary when Benghazi was brought up at the great, at the great white throne. See, we got two extremes. Um, we don't want to go to extreme to the fact to where we think we can do it all ourselves if we get enough guns and enough bullets and enough weapons and enough drones and, 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 and all these kinds of military. If we get all that, we're safe. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not. Amen. You know why America has always come out victorious? It's God. You know why there's never been a battle fought on our, uh, on our turf until now? God. It's God. Psalm 27, write this down. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Have you ever noticed in Psalm 68, 17, and it, and that the same term that's used to rapture up Elijah, it said the chariots of God. He, he had a, he has a spiritual military presence. What are they for? To fight the devil and his imps, right? And so the Bible says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy places. Folks, listen to me. When you go to minister, you're not going alone. You're going into the battle against the devil, but you've got the God as your power. That's what he's saying right here. We need to realize this nation is never, never, ever going to see another free day like we once have until we come back to God. 
elect whoever you want to. Till we get back to God, it's over for America. We'll be a third world country or similar. Half European, half third world, that's what it'll wind up. We're going to be a socialist nation to where your vote won't count, your desires won't count, anything the government wants, they take. That's what we'll be. So, Romans 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh his enemies to be at peace with him. You remember Elijah, they sent 50, uh, 50 soldiers up to get Elijah, and God killed them. They sent 50 more soldiers up to get Elijah, and God killed them. They sent 50 more, and the captain run, fell on his knees, and said, please don't kill me. He said, I got a message from the king, but don't kill me. I'm just under orders, that's all. And so Elijah went with him. I, I'm, I, I'm burdened about our country. You see, Leviticus 26, 8 says that it don't mean that we have to be the, have the greatest population to be the greatest power because Leviticus 26, 8 says, and five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. We can be vastly outnumbered and yet with God on our side win. Listen, Iran does not pose us a problem if we'll get back to God. But if we don't get back to God, we will get to Iran. We'll be under Iran or people like them. Deuteronomy 32.30 even shows us how God can turn it all around. And then you remember in, in the book of Joshua how that Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho and they just fell down. He's feeling real good about himself, but there's no boy named Ai. He thought he'd go in and get him a little extra, you know, a little extra money and a new, a new suit. He needed a new suit. So he slipped on in there, hid it in his tent, and they went up to that little old bitty town. They thought this thing will be a piece of cake after what we've done to Jericho. And they got whipped. You know why? They disobeyed God. God wasn't with them. And so after they come back, Joshua said, which one of you is it? Who is it? It's one of you. Because you, we can't lose as long as we do what God says do. And so Ai said, finally confessed and the Bible said that they took him out and they stoned him you see that's what happens to people who are traitors not in America but that's what happened but I think it's interesting have you ever thought about this when Achan who stole those three things when they brought him out to kill him, the Bible said they brought his wife and his children and they stoned them all. He said, well, that's not fair. Oh, yeah, it is. They was in on it. He said, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that the sons does not bear the sins of their fathers. So if the sons don't bear the sins of their fathers, his children and his wife was in on that deal. And they lost it all. Secondly, he recognized a dependency on God's spirit for God's work. He understood 
He understood the influence God men had. And before I run too far away from that, I you say, when did America start going downhill? Let me tell you when, when the pulpit started going downhill. You look back over your life, those of you that's old enough like me, and you start looking, and I'll guarantee you the preaching you heard as a young man or a young woman, it's not the preaching you're hearing today. When the pulpits became silent, America got weaker and weaker and weaker because we got intimidated by one little bitty amendment called the Johnson Amendment, and it wasn't even written for preachers, and it's going to be amended, Trump says, if he gets elected. Not sure that'll go over, but anyway, I don't care how many amendments they do. The pulpit should have never remained silent. Never. But when it did, us deplorables... How many of you believe in God? See him. Put it down. How many of you have a gun? You are deplorable. <laughs> I'm proud to be a deplorable. Now, somebody will write a song about that. I'm proud to be a deplorable. See, you, I believe in God, and I believe God's gun is bigger than my gun. <laughs> and I believe God's bigger than me. And so I can tell you this. I, di- I don't even realize sometimes how much our church has had influence in people. Oh, oh, oh some folks has gotten mad. Some folks don't, didn't like it. But did you know we've made some changes y'all don't even know about? We've impacted and influenced some people you don't even know about. Folks has changed things because they knew it would be cried out against here. And when a thousand people hear something in the town the size of Lebanon, it scares folks to death. And we've made some progress whether you know it or not. So if we had that all across this nation, what would God do? We could have revival. Jesus could be exalted. He recognized, number two, the dependency on God's spirit for its work. Now, the double portion I told you last week meant inheritance, but it also meant leadership. If you got the double portion, that meant that you were the oldest child, the oldest son uh, in most cases. And so that not only meant that you were the leader of the tribe or the family, but you had to lead them in worship. You led the worship of that tribe or that group. And so I think we see a twofold meaning for us. Number one, for us, we are not to be just saved by God's Spirit, but we are to be filled with God's Spirit for the work of God. We can't do the work of God just saved. We have to be filled to do the work of God. Now, I know I preached on that last week, but you didn't get it. I'm preaching it again. So not only that, But for special anointing as leadership as a prophet, you have to have the anointing of God. Sometimes special things come up that demand extra wisdom, demand supernatural wisdom, supernatural knowledge, demands God 
to help us to know how to handle it. And only the Spirit of God in us can do that. So there's our ministry we have to the nation. There's our ministry we have to the prophets. That's why we're having our Bible conference, folks. We have a ministry to this church. That's, our, that's my first priority is this church. I don't, I don't leave this church unless I'm preaching somewhere in Israel. That's the only time I ever leave. I don't even leave when I'm preaching somewhere on Sunday morning except one time a year. I take one day a year on Sunday morning, and that's usually in Israel. And I, I, just, I just want to be here because this is where our ministry is. We minister, we serve each other here, right? But we also have to minister to the preachers who are not getting ministered to. There's some guys out there like us. They don't have anybody either. They don't have another church in town like them. They don't have a church in their community like them. They don't have anybody maybe near, within 100 miles like them. That's why we want to do the Bible conference because we want to see a revival in you, but we also, the revival in you, we hope will catch fire in those preachers that come here. And some of them it did. And some of you it did. And that's our heart. I'm challenging you this year that you start right now making cancellations, making different arrangements, taking days of vacation. You do whatever you have to do to get under the spout where the glory comes out. Because we minister. And then there was the demonstration of that power. See, men will melt under conviction and grow nervous over your witness, sometimes angry or perturbed over your witness when they see the demonstration of God's power. In other words, when you're witnessing to somebody and all of a sudden God sets down on them and start to make them feel rotten, start to make them feel dirty, ah, you see what's happened to them. It's not that they're mad at the gospel. They've seen the demonstration of something that they hadn't believed in. And so they're angry. And some of them's just convicted. Some of them weep and broken. It's our job to minister to them. Are y'all still with me? So these prophets, oh wow, these prophets knew that he had God's double touch on them. Second thing, the demonstration of God's power or the uh, recognition of God's power is by faith, not feeling. I felt I was, you know, I thought I was fighting hell by half acre this morning. I just, it was a hard morning to preach. It was hard for me to preach. There was something in somebody's life or somebody's heart, somebody's mind that, that, that made it hard. Maybe several somethings, I don't know. But it was difficult and it's probably come from, from, the, from the place I'd never expect. But it made it hard. It makes a difference. And I know what it's like, but here's what. I'm going to be back next Sunday. No, I'm not. No, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. I, I'm going to be back next Sunday. <laughs> if I live by God's grace, and I'm going to be preaching again, not because of how I felt today, but because who I believe every day. Amen. You're going to be back next Sunday. 
not because of how you felt, because some of you didn't feel like getting up, because it don't get daylight till eight or nine o'clock, and you want to stay in the bed, you didn't feel like getting up, things just not going good, you know, the kids are throwing stuff all over the house, and you and the old man done got into it, now y'all slapping each other around, and, and you don't feel like going to church, but you know why you go? Not because of what's going on, not because of your feelings, but who you believe in. That's right. So it's faith, not feeling, and I want you to, also notice, it's fruit, not a front. You bring forth evidence, not just hold a position and carry a title. You produce something. The power of God will produce something. Thirdly, he received the responsibility that God called, that God's call placed on him. Verse 13, he took up the mantle. God told him to. God said, take up the mantle. That was the token of God's answer for his double portion. When he said, take up the mantle, Elisha knew that he'd gotten the double portion. That was it. God called him so the ministry wouldn't die with Elijah. One of these days, I'm going to be gone. One of these days, some of our other older members are going to be gone. But this church needs to stay strong unless the rapture comes. You know why? Because this church is built a little different. It's built on a foundation called the Bible. The inerrant Bible. It's built on soul winning. It's built on faith, and it's built on strong preaching. May it never, ever leave that. It's built on a few who kept it afloat till we got where we are now. The Crockett Cars, the Selma Luttrells, the J.L. Taylors, the Tom and Barbara Aldridge's, the A.W. Coleman. The Smarty story, the whole family of Edwards, Brother Carl Spurlock, Mr. and Miss Spurlock, Doris Ash, Lana Winfrey, and, 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 and the other Winfrey's that aren't at the jewelry store, so they can separate the two. Th- those folks was holding it together because we didn't have much else. That was it, that was our little core. And they were holding it afloat until God could build it up some. And then all of a sudden, God sent us another crew. And God sent Gary Landers and Jan. And God sent Todd and Debbie. And, and God sent Larry and June and Charlotte and, 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 and Brother Five Ash. And he sent Nathan and Tammy. Uh, he sent them just right before he sent me. And if they'd have known it, I'm sure they never would have moved their membership here. But when each group went off the scene God had another group to follow 
And the other group to follow was just as faithful. A little bigger. The core kept getting bigger. And now we're at another crossroad to where our church has balanced. It's definitely the most balanced church I've ever pastored from baby all the way to senior adult. We're very balanced in age. But we're at a time now when the, old, uh, the young adults, the old people, the middle age, we need some folks to say, Hillcrest Baptist Church is my church. It is my church and a team of Budweiser horses couldn't pull me away. You see, I'm telling you, they're going to be taking us to the graveyards and we're going to be going through the hospitals and we're going to be going through the nursing homes. And if we haven't refilled and refueled like we should, our church will weaken. I'm not talking about those folks who follow preachers and, 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 and when things is exciting, they come and just kind of get in the fringe. I'm talking about the core who love this place and will stay here no matter what. The only reason you ought to leave this place is when they decide they're not going to do it God's way anymore. Then you hit the door. We can make this place an apartment complex if we're not going to preach the Bible. And fourth thing I'm done, he responded with the opportunity that God's power provided. What God tell him to do? Smite the waters. That's a simple thing. Smite the waters. First thing God told him to do was waters parted and he walked across. You see, he didn't brag about his gift. He didn't go on TBN. He didn't dye his beard blue and paint his hair pink. No, no, no. No. He only used it when God told him to. We have no right to take God's gift and abuse it because it's a gift of grace. And so we don't abuse it. We use it. And we use it for the glory of God. And tonight, I really meant to preach about 20 minutes. I really did. But there's a better spirit here. There's a sweet spirit here tonight. You say, well, I don't know how to deal with these barriers, brother man. I mean, there's just some things that I just can't seem to get around. You see, the Bible said preaching and power is not enough. It's my spirit, said the Lord. You see, we are, we're okay with preaching and the Spirit. or We're okay with the Bible and the Spirit. We have trouble with that word power. What that word means is authority. Here's what I'm telling you. If you've got something that's holding you back, if you've got something that's messing you up, if you've got something you can't get around, you can't get over, you can't get through, first of all, you reach down and get the mantle. That means you get on your knees and you get filled with the Spirit of God. And you say, God, now I'm ready to take on hell. Yeah, 
I'm ready, God. I'm filled and I'm full and I know it because your Bible says I can be. And I've asked you and I've confessed my sin and you've cleansed me and filled me. Now I take authority over this situation. This situation's not beating me. This situation's not knocking me down. I'm going on. And you walk right through the middle of those waters. And they'll close up right behind you. And the same bear will be there, but not for you. That's good preaching, Brother Glenn. If something's ahead of you that needs to be behind you, let's get it done tonight. If something's ahead of you that ought to be behind you, let's get it done tonight. You may be carrying a load of guilt. Let's get rid of it tonight. Let's get rid of it. You may have unforgiveness or hatred or bitterness. Let's get rid of it. Don't carry that. You just may be disobedient in some areas that maybe we don't even know or you, others don't even know, but you do. Uh, it could be that you don't tithe and, and you pretend to, but you know you don't. And you need to come down here and say, God, th- this is why our house is not blessed. Th- th- this, is, this is why we have no power. Oh, God, I want to put that thing behind me. I want to walk right through it because I want to obey you, Lord. And I want it to be behind me because I want to be in front of you.